Welcome to Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. He is Paul Dettino. I'm Lance Benno. Good to be with you for the next 60 minutes. 201-939-4513. That is the telephone number. We'll also check out your tweets. Hashtag Giants Chat. Odell Beckham Jr. was named to the NFL Network Top 100, so we'll get into that. We'll also start to set the stage for rookie minicamp, which gets underway on Friday. Let's start off the top with Odell Beckham, the second Giant, because Landon Collins was already unveiled as part of the Top 100, so Odell Beckham comes in at number 77. Now, Everybody loves to, what I like to say, overreact to rankings. I mean, oh, yes. If, if there's one thing I probably <laughs> least care about, it's rankings in general. And it doesn't matter whether it's the NFL Network Top 100, any rankings. Agreed. Not necessarily invested in it, don't care too much. But I think it's important to note, Paul, this is the survey of the players, number one. The players strictly vote on that, okay? That's one thing. And the second factor is when they tell them to vote, they vote in December, and they're supposed to use the 2017 season as the main judge. And Odell Beckham played four-plus games last year. Right. That's it. Mm-hmm. Okay, He was done by week five. Mm-hmm. So it's surprising that he's even in the top 100 yeah. if you really break things down. You could certainly make that argument. I think that if, if I were running the survey, and of course I have nothing to do with the survey, uh, I would probably tell the players that, you know, the guys have to play a minimum number of games. You want to pick 10, you want to pick 12. I mean, you know, where do you put J.J. Watt? I mean. He's another one. Yeah. <laughs> where, where do you put him? We all know what a great player he is. We all know how great Odell Beckham Jr. is. But where do you put those guys when they have missed the bulk of the season? Because as I understand it, what the players are instructed to do is say, use the current season that you're in playing in as a guide as to who your top 100 players will be opening day coming up next year. Well, based on what Beckham did in four and a half games... You could make an argument to drop him all the way down there because let's let's not kid ourselves. If he's right, he's Odell Beckham Jr. that we saw the first three years of his career. He's a top ten player. I mean, by, by anybody's stretch of the imagination. Well, in terms of career, absolutely. You know, but but you can't do that based on the instructions that the players are given. So they put him at number seventy-seven, and uh, Landon Collins was ninety-two, by the way. Uh, other guys on the Giants who I think would would be considered, depending upon what the parameters you're using, and we know last year was a really rough year for, for most of these guys when they only won three games. Snacks Harrison's a heck of a player. Janoris Jenkins, when things are right, he's certainly a top 100 candidate. Olivier Vernon, his stats don't show it, but we know he's as good as any of the top 100 players in the league. So, you know, those guys certainly would, would warrant consideration. Um, but, hey, it is what it is. He is 77. See, Snacks is the only other player that I think, based on production in 17, which is the criteria for the top 100, that I would at least give some credence to. Well, again, the numbers proved out he was the top run stopper in the NFL. Well, that's all you need to know. So right. that's why I would consider giving him a vote. Jenkins got hurt, was banged up, had a rough year, so he wouldn't necessarily be near the top of my list for consideration. And Vernon also dealt with some injuries, mm-hmm. so that also is hard to sell him with respect to that. And and that's why I agree with you, Paul, 100%. If you're going to base it on 2017 alone, then players who miss half the season should not even appear on the ballot. Yeah, they should be disqualified yeah. automatically. And, and they should the not players, be eligible. Don't allow the players to even consider them. Because the minute you allow the players to consider a guy like Odell Beckham, he's got the household name. 
He's going to jump off the page. So somebody's not going to necessarily say in their mind, oh, you know what? Wait, didn't Odell go down in week five? And he only played four plus games. I mean, how many players are actually thinking about that? I think last year, and I don't have the numbers to prove this out, so I'm, I'm kind of plucking this out of the sky, folks. I don't want you to hold me to it. But it seemed like the appearance was that more superstar quality players had been lost through injury oh, were. Yeah. around the league than any other year I can remember. And I've been doing this a long time. And, and it, it hurt teams across the board. I mean, like every division had significant all-pro caliber players who had to take a seat because of injury. And, you know, look, again, that's part of the reason why it's the quicksand of mediocrity. But the bottom line is, um, you know, I get all the safety concerns. I understand they're trying to help the situation out. But the injury bug doesn't seem to be wanting to cooperate. It's it's getting worse. You can make a case that everybody – in some regard, and, and listen, we can say this every single season, injuries always impact the game, but to your point, Paul, when you th- consider the caliber of the players that were lost in 2017, yeah. you know, when Aaron Rodgers goes down, that's bad. That's a significant loss. And it hurts the league. Please, let's not kid ourselves. It's not good for the league when superstars get knocked to the sideline. Now, on the flip side, it just goes to show you what you can do when you have depth on the team. The Eagles, they lose Carson Wentz late in the season. You have a respectable backup, or at least somebody with experience in Nick Foles, and you don't necessarily see a humongous drop-off, which is why depth is a key for Dave Gettleman this offseason. And not necessarily just thinking about the 11 that are going to be on the field, Paul, on defense and offense, but who else could come in in the event somebody goes down. They lost Sproles. Sproles is another guy. Well, I mean, I could give you a launcher. Jason Peters, the left tackle. They lost two middle linebackers. They lost their starting middle linebacker and the replacement. I mean, you know, look, I don't know what the solution is, folks. I've long cried about the flag football rules that the CBA has instituted because I really do believe that guys are not physically prepared for the crunching uh, that they go through. In September, I don't think that training camp gets them properly toughened, if you will, for the the rigors of what the regular season brings. And you know, I understand that maybe the the, the abundance of two a days was too difficult, but they should have found the happy medium somewhere. The flag football rules that are in place now. It is my opinion, and I have no medical degree whatsoever. So please. I don't want to. I don't want to be accused of getting on my soapbox here, but I do believe my educated opinion from watching this game for a long time is that the players are not physically prepared by training camp to go through the rigors of the regular season beginning in September, and that's why not only do we see now more and more injuries across the board, but we're seeing more significant injuries that happen in the first third of the season. Well, especially since a lot of these players also don't play in the preseason, Paul. So, you know, if they even get some opportunities in the preseason, all right, maybe they're building up durability for all those hits they're going to start taking in week one. But but, but I was growing up, okay, folks, Don't date yourself now, yes. Well, back in the 70s, Lance, your starters played into the third quarter of preseason games. It was not unusual for them to go three quarters or certainly go beyond the first half. 
And I'm not talking about just one preseason game. I'm talking about multiple ones. Yeah. Multiple. Of course, they had six preseason games when I was a kid. Now they only have four. You know, in those days they had six. So, anyway. I can only imagine the urgency that you felt having to live through six preseason games. I loved about it. About trying to get to the season. No, though. no. I loved it because... Again, it was always the fresh season that was upon you, and you wanted to know who all these new players were. You know, I was, I was always the, the, the kid who couldn't wait for preseason football, just like I am now. I can't wait. Do you know we are three months and a day away from the <laughs> Giants' preseason coming. opener? I knew that was Did coming. you know that? No, I didn't know, but thankfully... As a result of your information, I do. I got the calendar up in my home office. Oh, I'm exiting sure. it off the days. Yeah, that's These what you got to do. Absolutely. That preseason opener is like, I, I'm like a camel looking Wait, for water. I'm a little disappointed, though. Shouldn't the countdown be for the first day of training camp, technically? Oh, believe me. That's on there, too. There's a separate one? Oh, yeah. Uh, there are two. Do you actually know how far we are from the first day of training camp? The 25th of July. But no, but you don't have the exact count, though. I no, I don't have the exact, exact count. Okay, all right. Then you're falling short of Well, because this is, this is too easy, because it's the 9th of August, and today's the 8th of April. Of May. Of yeah, May. May the last so August. we have June, yeah. July, August, so it's three months and one day to the beginning of okay, the preseason. Okay, so that was a little bit of a cheat. That was just too yeah. easy. It was gotcha. a cheat. Okay. I'm just making sure. Oh, but both both days, the beginning of training camp and, and the, and first, the first preseason game, game yes. have huge circles like with the thickest sharpie you can find on my calendar at home. Well, it is pretty scary, though, in all seriousness. I know you say three months here or there. We're knocking on the door. Before you know it, we're going to have football. I mean, every time we feel as if there's a long period of time, it flies by. Because think about this. We were so involved and invested in the draft, it seemed, yes. for like, what, a good four months. And, I mean, even longer, given how the Giants season played out last year, that when you're into all these draft picks and the potential opportunities at number two, it just flew by. It seemed like that. And now all of a sudden, rookie minicamp's here. Before you know it, mix of the summer, and then we're going to have training camp. I don't even want the summer. Well, the summer summer and training camp coincide. Well, they do. So you certainly have no choice. They do. I'm ready to go to training camp tomorrow. we got rookie camp coming up here now on Friday and Saturday. And then coming up in the middle of June, we've got the Veterans Mandatory minicamp. Which is the difference between okay. what we just passed right before the draft. Correct. Which is the voluntary minicamp. Correct. Yeah. Then we also have OTAs in between the rookie minicamp and the Veterans Mandatory. OTAs get sprinkled in there Organized for about team activities. five weeks. Yep. Okay. So those are all... It's kind of like... Well, you know what it is? That's it's the mozzarella sticks. The appetizer. Okay. Right. right. It's we the mozzarella the sticks. Analogy. Yes. The mozzarella sticks so, before the meal. Okay. But in fairness, some people like to order multiple appetizers as a main meal, though. Okay? Well. If we're going to take this analogy. This is true. You know, not everybody is necessarily, you got to get the appetizer in the main dish. Some people just like, hey, give me a few appetizers. And I that just, could be substantive. I, I, right now, I just want to get to the spaghetti and meatballs. Okay. Well, you're going to get Appetizer 1 here coming up with Rookie Minicamp, but we'll get a little bit more into that. I know John and I spoke about that yesterday in terms of the structure of Rookie Minicamp and how some players are invited as opposed to some players are actually given contracts for the 90-man roster. But in the meantime, let's open up the phone lines, 201-939-4513, 201-939-4513. Timothy is in Jackson, New Jersey. Tim, what's happening? Nothing. I got uh, two questions. Good. Will the Giants 
trade Andrew Adams, a 2019 second round pick, and a 2023 round pick to the Raiders for Amari Cooper and a 2020 first round pick. Okay, and what's your other point? Can the Giants trade Eric Flowers and a 2019 fifth round pick to the Texans for J.J. Watt? All right, Timothy, we appreciate the phone call. Well, I don't know that there's any team in the NFL that would not be interesting in acquiring either J.J. Watt or Amari Cooper. Yeah. Uh, I don't necessarily believe that, that those are the kinds of deals that those teams would be looking for to send those players packing. In fact, I probably would be safe to say neither team wants to get rid of either player. Yes, I think that's number one. I, I think number two is extreme wishful thinking. I don't think the Texans are parting ways with J.J. Watt for – a draft pick or two, and Eric Flowers. I, I, I think it's safe to say that Houston would say thank you, but no thank you. Yeah. And the same thing with respect to the Raiders with uh, Amari Cooper, who had a rough season with drops in fairness, but you know, clearly they believe they could still build around him because he is an extremely athletic wide receiver. He just needs to be more consistent. That, I think, is what has held Amari Cooper back, and I, I don't think the combination of Andrew Adams and a few draft picks is necessarily going to make it extremely appetizing for the Oakland Raiders to pull the trigger on that. You know what's interesting, though? Uh, we saw probably, and again, I'm going by unofficial gut feelings here, we saw more trades, I thought, during this past off season involving players We did. than I also remember. In a long, long time, I, I, I just, I, at the top of my head, I can't remember a year where we saw so many deals. Now, a lot of this though is happening because of salary cap implications. You know, you have teams that are just trying to clear out money, and they're they're just shipping guys out because they're worried about their numbers. Um, see, that's the part of the the economic part of the game that troubles me. I I'm, I come from a coach's mentality. Okay, coach's mentality is. I want the best 53 on my team that I can coach, that I can count on, that I can get to produce and give me a chance to win. The problem is too many 53-man rosters today, in fact all of them, are now influenced heavily by the economics of the game instead of talent, coachability, potential. No, no. The paperwork, the numbers and the paperwork, the, the, the almighty George Washington impacts more roster decisions because of the salary cap and the way free agency is structured than the coach really needs to chew on. It, it, and that has always bugged the living heck out of me because I was one who enjoyed before the, the salary cap, before this free agency process was introduced into the league we had plan b free agency i love that but it was too restrictive for the players and look what happened when you went to this new system that's when the whole deterioration like acid just started to eat away at the quality of the league and look look where we are today well, I, the I quicksand of mediocrity. I mean, I don't know if it necessarily ate away. I just think that it provided for more of a balanced playing field. Because, I mean, think about this, Paul. Even if you remove the salary cap, which I know you're not a big fan of, or at least you're more of a fan of not having one position eat up so much of the cap and have restrictions well, you know on how I feel. players. I know there should be a quarterback cap. a lot of those conversations. Within the cap. But what I will say is, keep in mind, the cap is going up every single year. So that's why contracts are going to go up in comparison to the cap increasing. For example, the cap last year, I think in 2016, excuse me, was 167. 
and then it went up to 177. So the cap went up about $10 million. Mm-hmm. It's understandable the contracts are going to increase in relation to the salary cap. So, I mean, that shouldn't necessarily surprise anybody. And, and the other thing is, I mean, just imagine if you didn't have a salary cap, Paul, and you told every owner, spend whatever the hell you want, you think that would make for a better league, in your opinion? I mean, in all seriousness, that means that if you had an owner who had more capital, just think about this, and he said, hey, the I'm league gonna... was that way forever. Well, but now, with the economics through the roof, I mean, you, you may say that the league operated on a different level. I'll agree with you, Paul. But just think, think about how much money the NFL is making today with endorsements, products, all right. and everything else. There's a lot more access to capital today than there was 25 to 30 years ago. Well, let, let's just Let's just make a count here. From the time the Steelers dynasty ended in 1980, which I still believe is the greatest dynasty in pro football history, that Steelers run, I, I no, no one's gonna, no one is gonna be better than that run, as far as I'm concerned. No matter what the Patriots do, and I appreciate what they've done. It's a watered down league. What those Steelers did in that day, that that's that's the best. Anyway, from the time the Steelers dynasty ended, you had Super Bowl champs. Raiders, 49ers, Redskins, Bears, Giants. Okay, that's five. It's five champions. Okay. Well, then you got to the Cowboys. Cowboys, Packers, Broncos, Rams. So from the 1980 season to the 2000 season, in those 20 seasons, you had nine different Super Bowl championship franchises. Isn't that enough diversity? It is. I agree with you. That is plenty of okay. diversity. I'm not disagreeing with you. Now, now. And also keep it, one thing you didn't mention is you had Dallas win back-to-back, and you had Denver win back-to-back. Well, yes, You yes. just named how many different. But you had, which is difficult in today's league, to actually get back to the Super Bowl okay. and win it again. Now, I'm using that as an example because the cap and the current free agency structure started in 93. I'm giving it a few years past that. In other words, to weed to itself out until yeah. the new system truly impacted the game. So I'm telling you, there were nine Super Bowl champions during the, the, the last 20 years, or the 1980 to 2000, during that 20-year time period. To me, that was enough variety. People say to me all the time, well, if you don't have the cap, you don't have the, the CBA rules, you don't have free agency rules, it gets boring. The same team wins every year. No! No, nine different franchises won a Super Bowl over the 20 years that I just accounted for. That's not boring. It's not. I'm sorry, but it's not. No, and and I'm with you. I I don't believe that the salary cap is there to simply promote parity. That's not why I think the the salary cap is there. I think the salary cap there is, is there also to provide just a balanced field of for an economic standpoint, Paul. What I mean is you're going to get to the point where one owner is going to have the resources to go out and spend $300 million on his Mm -hmm. players, and then you're going to see them pay the quarterback not $30 million, which is what Matt Ryan just got. It's going to go up to $40, $45. What's from stopping all of a sudden one particular owner completely putting the market out of whack? I think I just counted 18 quarterbacks are going to be getting an average base salary of $20 million or more this coming fall. It's going to go even higher once the cap continues to increase. It's ridiculous. But you have to understand, it's We not... should put a quarterback cap within the cap. 
This is bad for the game. Well, but Matt Ryan's contract, which he just got because he became the first one to make yes. $30 million a year. Yes. My point is he's still taking up the same percentage of the cap as it would have been 10 years ago. The only reason why he's getting to $30 million now, Paul, is because the salary cap went up. So now all of a sudden is the it, quarterback is, contract is his percentage off. of the Falcons I, I, cap I did not the do same the exact percentage math. I did of not, what it would have been back then? I got a hunch it's a heck of a lot more. I did not do the exact math, but I'm very confident to say that if you look at his previous deal, his previous deal was 2013. Matt Ryan got a five-year extension mm-hmm. then. Now they just gave him a new five-year extension. I feel pretty confident to say that whatever his initial salary was for that first year is percentage That's not where wise. I want to go. Here's well, what well, I, well, that's at least where I'm Here's what I want to do. I want to go back to the 1992 season. Actually, 93. Nine, go back to 93. That's fine. Meaning the first year of free agency. Right, right. Okay. Or 93. We'll, yeah, we'll go 93. 92, 93, whatever. Either one is okay with me. Give me the average percentage of each team's salary that was spent on a quarterback. Put that percentage in stone. Let's just say it was 6%. Just picking a number out of the air. Okay? Yeah. That should now be the cap this point forward. Because that's before free agency went nuts. The quarterback, if he was getting the most money back in the day, that's the percentage he should get, and that's the quarterback cap that should be within the current cap now. Because what is happening here is teams are spending so much money on the quarterback, and the percentage of the quarterback salary on each team is going so high, so through the roof, that it is warping the rest of what is happening on the teams. Because you have, as many people have said, you have the haves and you have the have-nots. And you can't have a $30 million player up here and then you have a $1 million player down here. And they're supposed to be teammates. They're supposed to be all for one, one for all. I'm making a million bucks. You're making $30 million bucks, And you honestly going to tell me that that promotes teamwork, that that promotes unity, well, you're that that about- makes everybody fight equally as hard on the same page? What's the difference, though, in the NBA? The superstar, what he makes compared to the 13th guy on the bench? Well, I mean, well, what's the difference, though? I, I think you see that in all professional sports, Paul. I think there's always going to be a disparity in contracts. And I think most players understand. I mean, let's face it. Yeah, but, you're but tell in me- football, you have the most players on any roster in any given sport. You have 53. Actually, you have volume. more. Yeah. Because of the injured players and so forth, by the time the season's over, you might have 75 guys under contract. Okay. Because there are so many, the disparity really becomes impactful because many of those guys who are making significantly less money are fighting with you in the starting lineup in the field of battle. In basketball, the guy who's making one-twentieth of what you're making probably is lucky enough if he gets two cameo appearances in the next month of the season. So it doesn't matter because he's barely playing anyway. No, but... What I'm also taking into consideration what goes on during practice on a daily basis. Those guys are imperative because they're playing I, in practice I get that. every single day I get that. to prep the team. But so it's not, not like they don't have value. But they're not. I didn't say they don't have value. What I'm saying is there is a tremendous disparity between the salaries of the players who are actually playing and competing in meaningful minutes in the NFL because of the way the salary structure has been formed. That's a problem for me. 
No, and I get your point, meaning the, the 13th guy on the NFL roster is playing a lot more than the 13th guy on the NBA roster. Darn straight. I'm not disagreeing That guy with in the NBA there. is probably not no, even playing. But I, I think you could also make a case of the NFL, while playing time may be a little bit closer together, I think most would say what the quarterback does for the team is far more important than what the long snapper is doing on top of maybe some of his special I'll tell you what, though. The long snapper's taking a heck of a beating. Even he, if he's he only is. out there six times every Sunday, he is taking a pounding. He is, but like you just said, only a few times out there on Sunday. Think about how many plays the quarterback is involved in. So, you know, those are He might actually be taking more hits than the quarterback if you got a good offensive well, and, line. And I think you're taking it to a very technical degree, and I, and I get where anyway. you're going with it, but I, I still think that there is a way to designate value on NFL rosters because of what those players provide. But, but here's what I will say, Paul. You look at Matt Ryan, you look at Cam. These are guys who have been making well over $20 million over the last few years. Their teams, though, have been making the playoffs. Okay, if, if you were to show me that every team that has paid their quarterback over $20 million mm-hmm. and has failed to make the playoffs, then I would understand, okay, maybe there's something more to see here. But a lot of the guys that have been making the big money, they're helping their teams get to the playoffs. It's not as if there's an immense drop-off there where the more money you give to the quarterback, the less likely you, you are to okay. actually have success. Now, Plus, it, it shows you the importance of the draft. It didn't work out this way because the NFL was extremely fortunate that both the Eagles and the Vikings lost their starting quarterback, and yet they were able to go far into the postseason, and the Eagles won the championship. However, ask the Green Bay Packers how great they felt about giving Aaron Rodgers all that money and then watch their season get flushed down the toilet yeah. because of one injury. Well, you're right. It doesn't work out for every team. That, that's but, horrible. No, but, but... That's horrible. The difference between the Vikings and the Eagles versus the Packers is how much of an emphasis they placed on the backup quarterback, though. That's the biggest difference, what you just laid out. For example... Yeah, but the, the, the starting quarterback is making so much money, he's eating up so much of the cap in Green Bay... That they can't do that in Philadelphia. Carson Wentz is making was on picks. a rookie contract, yeah. right? No, so Sam, they could afford to pay Sam, money. To Sam Bradford, Sam Bradford was not making pennies he, though. Not pennies, he but not make, as much as Aaron Rodgers. No, but he wasn't making pennies. Where listen, they weren't bringing in Case Keenum for two dollars. You know, I remember, for example, there was a year where the Cowboys they had Tony Romo still, and obviously because of his injury history, and they brought in Kyle Orton as the backup quarterback. Mm-hmm. Paul, they were paying him like seven million dollars. That's a lot of money for a backup quarterback. Nick sure Foles, it is. even Nick Foles got about five million. Sure, that's a lot of money for a backup quarterback. I agree. So those teams now, I understand Carson Wentz was on a rookie contract. I completely agree with you. Sam Bradford, though was making decent starters money, and then you bring in another veteran in Case Keenum. It depends on just how much you value the backup quarterback. The but Panthers the more had Cam, money, and they brought in Derek Anderson. But the more a money veteran. you spend on your starter, the more at risk you are of having your season wiped out when he gets hurt because you don't have the luxury of spending more money on your backup. That's the problem. No, and, and, Look, and, and quarterback... I was talking to one of my, 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 my personnel gurus last week, and I said to him, do you remember back in the 70s and 80s when every team had three quality quarterbacks on the roster? You had your starter, your backup was pretty darn good, and even your number three could play in the league. Now, forget about it. The number twos in this, in this league are terrible. Oh, it's hard enough to find the number one. We got it. We got number ones in this league who should not be starters. How is that good for the NFL? It's not. But I think that's also a reflection of the college game, though. I don't think you're taking that into consideration. 
in terms yeah. of the style of play in college, the development, That's the lack thereof. But then again, the NCAA doesn't care about what the NFL coaches need. They don't. Yeah, but the NFL, the NCAA coaches care about getting their wins. They're not so much concerned about developing guys for the NFL. And by the way, you can't develop the guys for the NFL like you wanted to because the CBA destroyed your ability to do it. Which is why the dynamics of things have drastically changed, to your point, from when you did have three quarterbacks on the depth chart that could all perform. Because think about what the development occurring on the collegiate level. Think about how much different that was mm-hmm. in the 70s and the 80s versus what we're seeing today. I mean, case in point, the Giants, uh, let's bring it back to what we were talking about here with the Giants. Jeff Hostetler is the perfect example, okay? Correct. But Hostetler also was a versatile player who was a wide receiver mm-hmm. who was willing to do anything he could to get on the football field. Listen, I don't need to tell you, Paul. You, you experienced no it. Okay, whereas in today's game... I highly doubt you're going to get the third-string quarterback to say, Coach, put me in as a wide receiver because I'm just itching to get on the field. Or Ray having Lucas. enough experience <laughs> having enough experience at the college level to have been a wide receiver. So that's why I said the, the dynamics are very different. It, it's hard to compare the errors. Ray Lucas, very uh, who else? Uh, well, or obviously Slash, Cordell Stewart. Uh, Webb yep. for the Vikings. Joe Webb. Joe Webb. Yes, that would he, be another he, one. He was, he was, he okay. was another one. Very well, few of them. Yeah, I mean, you very few of one them. hand. I know. Just calculate all that. So, anyway, we got yeah. calls coming Terrell, in. We Folks, will style us up so we don't have to keep talking about well, this. Well, now, now, now you want to shy away from the conversation. Well, no, Terrell Pryor is another me, one, it, by the way. Yes, yeah. it gives me a headache. I know it does, but I like giving you headaches. So yes, I know you do. Two zero one nine three nine four five one three is the telephone number. Hashtag Giants Chat. All right, let's head back to lines. Duke is in Queens. Duke, what do you have for us? Hello, Duke. Don't be shy. Duke going once. Duke going twice. Hello. Duke, man, he very few words apparently today. Hello? Yes. Hello. We heard a hello. Is that you, Duke? He's gone. No? Okay, how about Mike in Boston? We'll try him. Hello. Mike, hey, how there. are you? Doing all right, Great, Mike. how are you, hello? sir? Yeah, we hear you, Good. Mike. I, I'm going to take you off speaker real quick. Okay, we appreciate that. All right, I wanted to weigh in on the salary cap. The conversation that you're having is one. I just wanted to kind of put my two cents in on it. Sure. Um, I know there's a couple of sides to the argument, and I enjoyed listening to both of your points. What I had in mind, what I would love to see is it's frustrating when you have a general uh, generational player on the team and you bring him up, let's say, in the draft. Take the Giants, for instance, with Odell Beckham. Yep. Now we have Landon Collins. He's going to need to get paid next year, too. Let's say Saquon Barkley pans out. It's hard to draft players and retain them when you have – uh, when you nail it so many times in the draft, so you have to keep turning it over. Yeah. I wish that there was a generational player clause where you can tag one or two players where if they've been on the team for five years, whether you've, you know, if you've drafted them or whatever, um, let's say it's a wide receiver or let's say it's a quarterback. There's a fair market value or an average, yeah. let's say, around the league, and you could pay them in excess of it but you, your salary cap hit is only what the market value is or, well, he, you know, uh, what that average would See, be. that's and, what they tried to do with the franchise tag and the transition tag. They're trying to right. give the teams an opportunity to hold on to a guy 
and still give fair market value to the player. That's what the whole tag system is about. But here's another thing, and I, call, I kind of thought you were going to go this way, and then you, you kind of curved it a little bit. I thought you were going to say go to the NBA bird rights That's rule. That's what I was going to bring up. And say, yeah. okay, can each team, because there's 53 players on a team, how about giving each team three exclusions, because there are so many right. players on a team, three exclusions to the salary cap to where you can pay the guy above and beyond – the cap. cap numbers. Yeah. But that gets sticky now because then the players union's gonna say, Well, you're restricting his his free market. You you know, by, by saying that you can give him more money, that's all well and good. He's getting more money, but you're still restricting freedom of movement and we don't like that. That's that's the way the players union's gonna moan about it and they'll never agree to it. But you're absolutely right. That would enhance the ability for teams to maintain their core, thus enhance the quality of the overall game. I'm on board with you philosophically. I also don't believe it's realistic. Right, and, and I'm with you. And what I would say, what I would add to it is this: so the, the player would have to be on board with it. So you wouldn't be, let's say, slapping him with the tag. So let's say a player wants, let's say Odell wants to get paid. And John Mara is just feeling so generous he wants to give him $30 million. But the average wide receiver or the top five paid or whatever, let's say they're somewhere in the high teens, that's what, what the cap hit would be if you gave him, you know, however long, let's say, a three- or four-year contract. Um, and then on, on the other side of it, too, would be, um, you, yeah, you, you're basically excluding them from the salary cap. But take a guy, let's say the Giants were to sign Andrew Norwell back several months ago when, we, when they were targeting him. Yeah. And he allegedly, you know, he was going to become, well, he, I think he did become the highest paid guard. He did. So you take a guy like him. So he hasn't been on the team. You're picking him up in free agency. What I would say at that point is that you can, if you're basing it on a player having been on the team five years, you're, you're, you know, what you're trying to do is take players that have been groomed, whether they've been drafted or brought up on the team. What I would say is you pay him what you want, but that contract is going to um, be prorated. So let's say twenty uh, percent. Let's say let's say the market value is fifteen million, and you're paying a guy twenty. Well, that's a difference of five million. Right. Well, the first year take off you know twenty percent, then forty, and then by the time you get to five years, you're only getting hit on what the average for that position would be. And you're retaining the player. Okay. Now, if I'm the Texans, I'm keeping JJ Watt, and I'm going to pay him what I want. Or, so, well, you, know, you might have teams that can't afford to do that. So, but, you, you know, what you want to what you want to yeah. do is kind of take a page out of the one year veteran uh, veteran deal, where they have the salary cap uh, exception, whereby yeah. you pay right. a veteran, you pay a ten year veteran like one point two mil. But it's only a one-year deal. It only counts seven hundred fifty thousand against the cap. Right. Exactly. You want you want a well, cap exactly. discount is what you want for certain players. It's a cap discount. Well, because Mike, That's what what, it is. what your concept is? I mean, we were talking about the franchise tag. The franchise tag really sets the market for all of those Correct. top players. So, I mean, based right. on what you're describing, Mike. If you were to say that a wide receiver franchise tag is fifteen million, and you want to give Odell Beckham twenty million a year, the cap hit should only be based on the fifteen million franchise tag. That's what he's saying, and the Giants could still reward him with an additional five million. Now, the the dangerous part to this. Oh, sorry about that. Well, the dangerous part to this. I'll now let you finish. The dangerous part to this is every team tries to find structures 
with signing bonuses, roster bonuses, incentives, reporting bonuses. They're constantly trying to find different ways to maneuver the numbers to avoid cap charges. So now, how sticky does it get when you start trying to compute a number and say, I want to give a team a cap discount on a guy's contract? Well, now what numbers are you going to use? Are you going to use his base? Are you going to use prorated signing bonus over the course of each each year? And it gets very, very, very sticky. I'm not saying you don't have a good philosophical point because I like your philosophical point. I just don't know if there's any way to make it happen. Well, I like the Larry Bird rule in the NBA. I I think, I mean, three may be pushing it. If they basically gave every NFL team the opportunity to sign one of their own players, it can't be a free agent. It has to be somebody coming Oh, I agree with that. And you tell them you can go above the cap to retain this player, I think that would be a fine rule. It exists in the NBA. It has not killed the NBA, and I don't see why they can't adopt that. I'd love it. I just don't think the Players Union is going to let you do it. Well, see, the other yeah, the other difference is, and, and, and we'll let you continue, Mike. The other difference is in the NBA, remember, on top of the Larry Bird rule, they also have sets on max contracts in terms of the level, the most money you could give a player based on X amount of years they've been in the league. In the NFL, the reason why it's hard to do that, keep in mind, is because you give a player a contract, but then only a segment of it is guaranteed. In the NBA, yeah. it's all guaranteed. That's right. So that's another reason why some of these logistics are hard to adopt. You know, I hate to say this because it's another can of worms, but maybe they should do what baseball does and just have a luxury tax. Instead of going with a hard salary cap, maybe they should just have a luxury tax in football. Maybe that's the way to do it. Anyway, go ahead. One more point, Mike. I'm yeah. sorry to cut you off. No, those are all good points. You know, the one thing I would say is this, where, you know, my thought is as far as bringing in the best of both worlds, you're talking about an era where there was no salary cap. Now, obviously, the salary cap does keep it somewhat competitive. You know, we have the phrase, any given Sunday, and the teams are relatively competitive. But when you have a quarterback who's making a fifth of the salary cap or close to it, um, you're right, it does take away now how do you sign, let's say you do have a J.J. Watt on your team or an Odell Beckham, a generational player, how do you retain him and pay a quarterback? It, it becomes very difficult to well, but, make the playoffs. But, but Mike, you know, but, but see, that's so, the... I personally, I like that because that's the challenge of running a team. You've got to make those tough decisions. You have to determine what draft picks are Yeah, but you're punishing a team for drafting well. No, I I don't think, I mean, but here's the thing. So what do you want to do? You want to basically say I draft well, I I draft well, I coach them up well, and now you're going to punish me and take my guys away because I can't afford them under the rules. Well, but that's another. How good is that? Because that's what that's saying is is that. All right, Mike, go ahead. When you lose those players, you then have to then be able to then draft their replacements a few years later. That's essentially what it's doing. It's showing that the draft is extremely important every single year. Yeah, but if you do well, if you draft well and you coach them up well, you're drafting lower at the back end, which means it's even more of a handicap to get better players. Well, but that's, listen, that's what separates the men from the boys in terms of and the scouting. And that destroys and waters step. down the quality but, of the league. But here's the Mike, thing. Mike has one more no, no, point. Right, Let him finish. Uh, go Let ahead, finish. Mike. No, I was going to say this. So just I'll throw in one more element, and this might, I don't know, make it harder. Or it, but just as another dynamic when you think about it. From an owner's standpoint, um, you know, if you're investing billions of dollars into a, into a franchise, you could, let's face it, you could probably be more profitable in, in some other avenue. A lot of these owners, they, they have a love for football, you know. And, you know, people will look at it from the outside and say, well, they're making so much money. Yeah, but they could be making more, you know, on, on those billions that are invested. So that being said, if my margins are lower than what they could be in some other avenue of business, 
I must really love a player to pay him above and beyond, you know, and to give him that, that, that extra money. Now, not every team might be able to do that. You look at a team like the Oakland Raiders sure. struggled over the years. They might not be able to retain certain guys. Well, so it, yeah. it does kind of bring back that dynamic that you had where certain dynasties, you know, Jerry Jones is willing to pay a lot more for his players. But, you know, you're going to have certain teams that are willing to pony up the money, mm-hmm. and there is yeah. going to have to be a little bit of a thought process to it. Do I want to do this? How much do you know? Does it mean to win? And I think that that kind of adds a little bit of excitement too from the fan base, where the owners are kind of throwing something to the fans to give them to to excite them a little bit. Well, I appreciate the phone great call, call Mike. I, I mean, Thank that's, you. That's why there's a salary cap because once again, I said you're going to have the owner that has the resources to spend a boatload of money, double the cap, and you're going to have another owner that even though he owns the team may not have as many resources. So they want to keep the economics in check. I completely understand why they would do that. And I would throw this out: you, you said that well, it's tough to keep all of your rookies in the NFL. You can say the same thing about the NBA, Paul. I mean, look at the Golden State Warriors. The Warriors they drafted Curry. They drafted Clay mm-hmm. Thompson. They mm-hmm. drafted Draymond Green. Then they got to the point that they had to start paying all of them. Now, granted, there's the luxury tax in the NBA. You're going to tell me. I get that. You have a little bit more flexibility. Mm-hmm. But when they then took on Kevin Durant, think about how many players they had to sacrifice in That's order true. to take on Kevin Durant. Well, so every sport, every league has the challenges where there is still you're going to get fortunate. There is still more and I'm not disagreeing with you there, but my point is there's sacrifices being made in every professional sport where even if you draft very well, no other sport is saying to itself, oh, wow, we're going to be able to keep everybody we bring in through the draft. Everybody has to make sacrifices. Let's head back to the phone lines. We got Duke in Queens. Duke, what's happening? Uh, can you hear me? We hear Hi. You. How we doing? All right, good, because I got cut off last time. Um, Sorry. Well, I had I had a few points, but I actually want to talk about the point you just had. If you guys are willing, you sure, go ahead. A lot of time on it. Yeah, I just wanted to say that. Uh, well, first of all, the uh, the quarterbacks, man, they're one of the key pieces with regards to winning a Super Bowl. And if that, and it's a fact. Like it's in my opinion, but it's a fact. So if you if you know that, if you're an owner and you know that, or even a head coach. Why not pay the guy a buttload of money to keep him? Because I feel like one of the reasons why these players are getting paid, uh, the quarterbacks are getting paid so much, is because uh, other quarterbacks that are really great in the league, they have a long-standing relationship with their with their teams, and so they stay. So that's one quarterback off the list of possible quarterbacks that you can get that can help you win a Super Bowl. So you pay a buttload for that guy that you may not even want necessarily. Like, he's good, but you want better. But you have to keep him because there's not that many going around. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And I, and I get that it's like one-fifth of the team's salary. But the goal is to win a Super Bowl. You win a Super Bowl, you raise your ticket prices. So that's what the goal is for the owners. That, that's what they want to do every year. So I just wanted to say that. And then uh, I wanted to talk about uh, Kyle Oletta versus uh, Davis, uh, David Webb. Sure. And, oh, I yeah. wanted, and I wanted to say that. I know Paul is uh, Webb is your, is your guy, Paul. Mm-hmm. But I do think Loletta is more ready right now. You know, Webb had the luxury of having one year to learn a playbook. Uh, but the playbook's changed. So he, had, he doesn't have the luxury anymore. And I think the, the type of offense that Kyle Oletta ran in, in college is, is, is a big help. And not only that, but I, I like uh, his, uh, the way he handles pressure more. 
to me. I, I feel like Webb, he gets, uh, he makes really bad decisions under pressure. And when you look at the Giants' history, not that this means anything, but when you look at the Giants' Super Bowl wins, uh, we were able to win a, a Super Bowl because Eli was able to make a throw under pressure, the helmet catch, you know, for instance. He was able to make that throw under pressure. And if, if as a fan, I want Super Bowls, then I think that's one of the most important characteristic or thing that you need in your quarterback is the, is the ability to make a throw under pressure. And can you guys talk about that? All right. Well, appreciate the phone call. I mean, the one thing I'll add is, I mean, what have we seen from Davis Webb that can determine whether or not he can make a throw in pressure? I, I'm guessing his opinion is based on what he did games Cal? he saw at Cal, which, of I mean, course, yeah, I don't know what that as, means. as he did half admit, yeah. he hasn't seen Davis over the course of the last year as Davis has worked out here with the Giants. Nobody, nobody, including myself, as much as I know about Davis Webb, I can't even guarantee you that I could bet my home and life savings that he is going to be a star in this league. I can't I can't do that with a guarantee. I could tell you an educated guess, I think it's going to be, and I'm willing to put my chips on his side of the table. But to, to say it's an unadulterated 100% lock, no, no, you can't, you can't do that. Um, I would say this. I think the Giants are going to have three really smart, poised and studious quarterbacks in their quarterback's room this year. And I think that Kyle Oletta is going to be a really terrific number three and probably one of the best number threes in the league. I absolutely think that's the case. But I think the pecking order is is quite obvious going into the season unless something changes and, 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 you know, God forbid an injury or Davis Webb falls on his face. I don't think either is going to happen. He will be the number two. Well, I, at this point, the sample size is so small for both guys. It, it's hard to say this guy's dealt with more pressure than that guy. I mean, granted, it's all based on the collegiate resume, and I think Loletta does have a lot of upside, but we got to see him in an NFL uniform. we got to see him in a preseason game before we start jumping no to question. conclusions that no question. You know, this guy has an that. edge over that guy. And I would say even if the caller saw Davis Webb throw in practice, I don't think he's really going to take much more away. No, he's not. So, he's you not. know, because it's once again, we're, we're, what pressure situations are you in in terms of practice? You know what is funny, though? Yeah, there, there. I know it's a minority opinion, but there were some professional scouts who thought that coming out of Cal, that Davis Webb was more further along than Goff, and Goff's turned out to be pretty darn good, hasn't he? I'm just saying. You know, I know it wasn't it wasn't a widespread majority opinion, but there were groups of scouts who felt. That he was further along than Goff. And the truth is, there may be validity behind that statement for those individuals that said that. But you know what? The difference is, Goff got the opportunity and Webb didn't. So we're still dancing with the unknown. Because until we Mm -hmm. see something in a meaningful game, a regular season game, where there is that pressure that the caller was talking about, I mean, all of this is just pure speculation in terms of who has the edge. I don't think anybody has an edge. Here's the good news. Yeah. Both of these guys, Webb and Loretta each have some very desirable qualities for an NFL quarterback to have. They are a little different. They, yeah. they, they, each one has something that the other guy may not have, we don't know for sure, or something that maybe he doesn't have that the other guy may, may not have been afflicted with. But both of them have a number of very positive NFL qualities. 
that's a good problem to have. Well, they're both smart, they're both dedicated to their craft, and they're both willing to learn. So right away, exactly. those are attractive traits that you want out of people. And they both right show leadership skills yeah. in, in, in wherever they've been. That's fair. Two zero one nine three nine four five one three is the telephone number. So Dave Dominic, our producer, did some research. Nineteen ninety eight, Steve Young had a fifty two million dollar contract. He was making just over eight million a year. Okay. That took up fifteen point nine percent of the cap. Okay? okay. That was twenty years ago. Two thousand eighteen, Matt Ryan, thirty million a year on a one hundred seventy seven million dollar cap. Yep. It's taking up just below seventeen percent of the cap. Wow. See? It's not that dramatic. However, however, now what year was Steve Young? Steve Young was ninety-eight. See, I'm. I want to take well, it back. We're going ninety-three, though. though. I mean, we're no, not talking. But it, yeah, but ninety-eight already. That's five years into free agency and the new and the new deal. Yeah, but, I mean, you got a twenty-year. Look up ninety-two size. or ninety-three, yeah. and now you can be talking. Okay, and then look up nineteen eighty-five when there was no salary cap to see what I'm, they took up as well. The ninety-eight Paul's number determined. is the ninety-eight number is but, still poisoned, and skewed, well, and full but, of toxins. But a twenty-year sample size, I think, provides enough to say. But it, the, the league had already been infected close. by the new rules. No, I get that, but the, but so, we're still talking no, about twenty go, years. Go Paul. back, go back to ninety-three. Right, well, Dave will Dave will appease to you. He'll do go his homework. Go back to ninety-three. In the meantime, to add even more insight to this conversation, we have the pleasure of having Charlie in Portland, Maine, on the line. So I can only imagine where we're going to go with this now. <laughs> <laughs> let's go back to the way, way back machine, and let's go back to yes. 1908. Hey, no, really, uh, what I was going to say, there's a simple solution to this cap thing, and I think you guys hit on it with the Larry Bird thing. It's just like what you do is you have whoever your highest paid player is on your team, you get a mulligan. That player does not count against the cap. So in other words, 99.9%, that one player will be your quarterback number, whatever that number is, except when you have a rookie quarterback and they have the rookie salary. But whoever your highest paid player is on any team, they do not count to the salary cap. So you can pay them as much as you want to pay them, so it's not going to bother the Players Association. The only thing it's going to bother is the owners. Because right. the owners are going to not want to pay more money to get a balanced team. They don't want to pay it. So that's the problem. They're billionaires. They can afford it. But to me, you take one player out, your highest paid player on any team, you solve the whole problem. Charlie, it's here's the fair. problem. You have to define highest paid player, and that is a significant issue because depending upon whether you go by base salary, whether you go by average base salary, whether you go by average salary across the entirety of the contract, which includes all bonuses and incentives, you could have three different players who qualify as the highest paid player on any given team. That's a problem. That's a problem. Whoever that player is. Yeah, but that's a problem. But that's a problem because you cannot have each team identifying the highest paid player. One team says it's going to be based on the entirety of his deal. Another guy says it's based on this year's salary. Another team says it's going to be based on the base average salary over the length of his contract. You can't do it. You can't because there are too many variables. There are too many variables. 2018, Matt Ryan is making, what, $30 million? Yeah. He's out. He's out of the cap. 
if he's if they want to play games and make it you know bonuses and it's you know then whoever the other highest guy is then he's out you can make it very simple you can just make it whatever the largest salary is for that year you take the player out of the okay cap. i'll give you a great example okay if you said to me right now who is the highest or ask me who is the highest paid quarterback in the league Okay, if you go by total value, average per year, Matt Ryan's making $30 million a year. But if you go by average of guaranteed money per year, you're not going to believe who the highest paid quarterback is. It's Kirk Cousins because he's making $28 million average guaranteed salary over the length of his deal. Matt Ryan's only making eighteen point nine. So now who is truly the highest paid? Well, is Cousins or is Ryan? Because the contracts are not even across that's the exactly board. Right. Yeah. Well, so that's exactly right. So, Charlie, your, your theory has so many holes in it because of, of how people can manipulate the numbers. Well, I agree with you, Paul, and I always have a pleasure in disagreeing with Charlie, so there's no problem <laughs> here. Well, I understand Charlie's concept, but, but Charlie, well, what I would say is you adopt the Larry Bird rule so that you can go over the cap to retain a player. The way the Larry Bird rule, it doesn't work like every single year we factor in the Larry Bird rule. That's the way that you're basically laying it out, that every single year you find who the highest paid player is and you sort of remove them from well, the cap. If, if everyone that, had yeah. one-year contracts, you could do that. Yeah, but, but they don't. No, all I'm saying is, is that Matt Ryan is due for an extension. You can go over the cap to fit that contract in, and they won't get penalized. That's how I think it should work, period. It's not every single year you find the highest paid player. Because Matt Ryan's contract should still count against the cap. It's not like you completely remove Matt Ryan's contract. He still goes into the cap. It's just if the cap is 177 and you had to go to 195 to accommodate Matt mm-hmm. Ryan, the league is not going to now all of a sudden say you've got to pay some type of a luxury tax or a penalty. Charlie, right. are you going yeah. to say that every year then – you would have to go to a team and say, okay, you want to go over the cap this year with your highest paid free agent that's on your team to re-sign him? Do you want to do that? to let So that over the course of the next five years, if every single one of those years you have a free agent that you badly want to re-sign and he's the highest paid guy, you want to be able to get them all, all five of them to keep them? Is that what you want to do? No, what I'm saying is very simple. Whoever has the highest amount of money, and you make it simple, whatever that guy on your team, like Eli is making the most money this year on our team. He's making $21 million or 21.5. He's the guy you take the salary out of the cap. That $21.5 million yeah, is I'm not out for of that. the cap. Yeah, but, but Charlie. For every team, yeah, but, then all of a sudden you have most of the time it will be your quarterback. So yeah, but Charlie, no, it won't be. It cap. won't be because these these contracts are they're not balanced. So therefore every year when you have to recalculate that the 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 quarterback is not always going to be the highest paid every single That's year. Fine. There's going to be an imbalance because the You're contracts are not out of the cap. So it saves the team money to get better players where they need them. It's very simple. You're making it too far complicated. Uh, There's always going to be one player every year that makes the most money for that. Well, but I don't, I don't even think you, you need take to take them out of the cap. You don't even need to simple. break it down based on the annual salary. Matt Ryan Please. is going to have the biggest contract period on the team. Yes. No matter the guaranteed money, Paul, because you're giving him over $100 million, highly unlikely somebody at 
another position is going to make more money over the course of the contract. So you just look at the guy with the biggest contract, which is why the Larry Bird rule says you can go over the cap to give him that contract. And that's it. And that's how I would leave it. I would then come back the following year and start doing all the math. And listen, Charlie, we're going to let you go on that point. So save the rest of the really good content for tomorrow's show, (laughs) which we're going to look forward to. Before we wrap up, though, Dave Dominic, he is, boy, is he computing the numbers today. Okay. All right, so he went back and he tried to appease to you. Thank you. 1992. He went a year before yes, the cap. Beautiful. Okay? All right. What do you Dan got? Dan Marino yes. was making just under $4.5 million. Okay? okay. That was his salary. Okay. Now, every payroll sort of fluctuated, but what Dave computed was the average annual payroll for a team back then yes. was just under $27 million. Okay. So Marino then was taking up 16.5% of his team's okay. payroll. Okay, so now we go back to when the cap was in place. 98, Steve Young was taking up 15.9. 15.9, 16.5. Now Matt Ryan, 16.9 versus 16.5. Wow. We're talking... I guess I've same. just been debunked. Well, listen, I, no, I understand of, where you were coming the from. The percentage but, of the quarterback's number, you're telling me, is, is, is according to the superstars yeah. and the numbers we have, it hasn't really changed. Well, because it's always been the most it important position. It doesn't seem like that, and, but I guess I stand corrected. And the salary cap goes up. You I figure I all you're going to do is you're just going to bring up the contracts relative to that. I guess I stand so, corrected. It just why, seems like the quarterbacks are taking a well, lot because more the of the numbers, percentage. I mean, I don't just blame you for like thinking it. that way. The numbers have gone through the roof, but it's still the same percentage, and that's why I really don't think it's throwing things out of whack. With that being said, we appreciate all the phone calls. Got a little economical on you. Got a little mathematical on you as we continue to set the stage for Rookie Minicamp gets underway Friday. Big Blue kickoff live up and running again tomorrow at noon Eastern. For Paul Dettino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday right here on Giants.com. Have a good one.